You're listening to a sermon from crckulaman.org. Habit number seven. And this sort of ties everything together. I think uh, this, is, this is the habit that allows you to, to uh, I guess, apply all of the other habits we've been learning consistently in your life. So this is sort of the maintenance phase of our boot camp. You know, you do your boot camp, you've done the hard work, you lose the weight, you build the muscle, you get fit, you get healthy, you've achieved your goals... You've then got to maintain it, don't you? It's no good if you then just slide back into your old old patterns and old ways. You need to figure out how to maintain that healthy lifestyle. And so the, our seventh habit is living in the peace window. And we want to be able to maintain these health habits for life. And so to do that, we need to talk about something that I think is a really key concept for us, and that's the, the, the peace window and how to live in that peace window. I want to describe for you two, two types of people, and these are people who aren't living in the peace window. The first type of person I've called the angry Pharisee, the angry Pharisee. Now, if you think about your, your understanding of Pharisees from the Bible, they're, they're people who always demand signs from God, don't they? And I, I won't read all of these scriptures, but I'll just give you the scripture references for some of these. So Mark 8 11 to 12. They demand signs from God. Angry Pharisees uh, test Jesus all the time. In Mark 10, 2 to 9, Luke 20, 20, lots and lots of examples of the Pharisees trying to test Jesus. Pharisees question authority, uh, specifically Jesus' authority, so Matthew 21, 24. They're judgmental, uh, Luke 7, 39 to 40, Luke 18, 9 to 14. Pharisees are incredibly hypocritical, uh, Luke 12, 1. They're arrogant, they're power-seeking, Matthew 23, 1 to 36. Pharisees are very law-orientated, Luke 6, 1 to 2, Matthew 12, 38 to 40. And, and Pharisees seem to be filled with this inner rage, Luke 6, 12. Now, the, the image, when I put all of those, those scriptures together... With Pharisees. The image I get of a typical Pharisee is someone who lives in a state of, and, and I'm now borrowing a, a term from psychologists here, but, but someone who lives in a state of hyper arousal. They're, they're, they're just wired in kind of a bad way. They're, they're over aroused. Their brain is, is overstimulated. Have you heard of the, the fight, flight, fight response when we're in sort of panicky situations? Well, I reckon Pharisees, they're in fight mode. You know, they're just, they're just looking for a bit of a fight, aren't they? Uh, they're, they're always stressed and anxious. And, and they see situations and people as a threat. So, so for Pharisees, their whole world is a bit of a, a power struggle to stay in control and on top. They're overzealous, they're guarded, they're suspicious, they're irritable, they're angry. That's kind of their default setting and their go-to emotion. The Pharisees, of course, they were threatened by Jesus, weren't they? Because Jesus seemed to be taking away their power, their control, their identity, their meaning, their purpose. Pharisees had huge amounts of control over of people and huge amount of power over the Jewish people. And uh, Jesus, however, captured the heart of the common people and he challenged this whole religious order and threatened the authority and the purpose of the Pharisees. And so what did the Pharisees do? Well, they responded with anger and hostility. So let's now bring it into the, the, the year 2019. 
Let's imagine we know someone who has what I'm going to call Pharisee syndrome. Maybe they've got difficulty at work because they're always disagreeing with their manager. They think they know best. They get offended when their boss tells them what to do or how to do it. They're kind of a bit passive-aggressive at staff meetings. You know those people, you know, a bit, bit kind of, you know. Uh, they, uh, at church, maybe they, they often disagree with people, disagree with things, you know, maybe the leadership or something of the church. Maybe they're, they're people who are quite judgmental and condemning of others. Okay, you know people like that in churches, always got something bad to say about someone. Something never measures up to standard, ever, does it? Um, you know, so they're, they're critical. They're critical of, of um, their family. They're critical maybe of what, what people wear, of what people do, of what people don't do. It's sort of just an ongoing theme in their life. person with Pharisee syndrome uh, might be someone who's always on the go because they've always got something to prove. They, they, they overextend themselves and they always need to be the one who has their finger in everything and they're, they're, they're kind of involved in everything. Pharisees might be very legalistic. You know, they know their Bible really well. They're chapter and verse Christians. And if it's black and white and it's in the Bible, then you better do precisely that or God's going to get angry with you. Um, they're, they're a person who has high standards and maybe anyone who's not meeting their standards is, is, is criticised or looked down upon or dismissed as not worth their time. Now, underneath all of this, underneath all of this, surface stuff is is anger and anxiety you know the person with pharisee syndrome their heart races a lot because they're always on edge they um they're, they're jittery they they jump at the slightest noise they yell at their kids for the slightest misbehavior or they yell at their parents or their friends they experience some some physical symptoms because their their nervous system is always on overload you know, maybe they get a lot of headaches or pain or, or digestive problems or blood pressure issues, difficulty thinking, remembering, breathless, shallow breathing. Perhaps these people are holding a grudge against God because he's not doing what they think he should do. Perhaps they're holding a grudge against people because they're not behaving like people should be behaving. God has let them down in the past and they're angry about it. People have let them down in the past and they're angry about it. Maybe this person struggles with self-condemning thoughts. You know, as critical as they are of other people, they have this inner stream of words in their head that's full of hatred and condemnation towards themselves. They have racing thoughts. You know, this person, this person is stressed out. This person is maxed out all of the time to the point that they don't even know it because it's become their new normal and maybe maybe you, you you don't experience all of those those symptoms but maybe sometimes you experience some of them have you ever experienced any of those symptoms i know i have Many people are living with Pharisee syndrome and, you know, it's not healthy. Proverbs 14, 17 says, A quick-tempered person does foolish things. 2 Corinthians 12, 20 
for I am afraid that when I come to you, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. So that's one end of the spectrum, our angry Pharisee type of person. The other end of the the spectrum are what I'm going to call the depleted Davids. The depleted Davids. So if we were to have a look at Psalm, Psalm 38. Psalm 38 from verse 6. I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. All my longings lie before you, Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pounds. My strength fails me. Even the light has gone from my eyes. My friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds. My neighbours stay far away. Or Psalm 55. Psalm 55, 2 to 5. My thoughts trouble me and I am distraught because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threat to the wicked. For they bring down suffering on me and assail me in their anger. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. And down to 1617. As for me, I call to to God and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning and noon, I cry out in distress and he hears my voice. Psalm 61. Psalm 61, 1 and 2. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the the foe. I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. Psalm 69. One to five. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I've come into the deep waters, the floods engulf me. I'm worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. Many are my enemies without cause, those who seek to destroy me. I'm forced to restore what I did what I did not steal. You, God, know my folly. My guilt is not hidden from you. So David, he writes of being afraid, of crying out to God, being in anguish, being alone, forgotten, stuck, discouraged, helpless, disconnected from family, disconnected from friends, from support. David writes of feeling tired and weary and guilty and full of shame. And I wonder, can you relate to David? Do you ever feel like that? 
I want to say he probably wasn't experiencing depression in the way we may often say, yeah, that's, that's depression that he was experiencing. I think what he was actually experiencing was depletion. Depletion. And this is what psychologists, again, to borrow a psychological term again, call hypoarousals, in being under-aroused. The brain is not overstimulated, the brain is overwhelmed and it shuts down. David's fear and discouragement and shame and guilt and tiredness and lethargy and hopelessness that get expressed through these psalms, they're a sign that he is depleted in mind and body due to life circumstances. Because here's the thing, what David's experiencing is actually quite normal given the circumstances. David's experienced a bit of heavy stuff in his life, hasn't he? I mean, David's done some sinful stuff. I mean, that's going to have an effect on you, isn't it? David's got family members who are out to kill him. It's probably going to impact you a little bit, isn't it? Uh, David had committed adultery. He'd had a man murdered. And, and of course, he was king. That carries with it a little bit of stress and difficulty too, doesn't it? You know, sometimes I think uh, when we think we're depressed, because that's the label that, that society and doctors tell us to put on it, we're not actually depressed, we're actually depleted. We're actually experiencing a normal human response to abnormal situations that we're not designed to experience or to live in. We're not designed to function well in the presence of sin, are we? I mean, no wonder we feel a bit depleted when there's sin in our lives. Our sin or other sin, other people's sin. We're not designed to function well in the presence of trauma or chaos or brokenness. None of us work well in those situations. Now, now for each of us, our, our tolerance level here it varies a bit, doesn't it? One person's wired with the ability to, to withstand quite a lot of stress and trouble or activity. Another person who's maybe a bit more sensitive or introverted is wired differently and is going to feel depleted and worn out by circumstances that someone else finds, you know, okay. So this is not so much influenced by the, the, the things that happen to you per se. It's all about your, your mind and how your body and how yourself responds to those situations. Have you heard the saying, one person's junk is another person's treasure? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I, I think... One person's chaos is another person's calm. Do you think? Yeah. One person's chaos is another person's calm. What would a person who's experiencing depletion look like? Well, this person's physically tired all of the time. They can't seem to get enough sleep or rest. It's difficult for them to get through the day. They have, maybe, maybe they have difficulty holding down a job. Um, in, this, in this state of depletion, your body is going to turn, down all, turn off or turn down all non-essential systems. So it's going to turn down your immune system and you're going to find yourself getting sick a lot. It's going to turn down um, maybe your digestive system. Okay, and you're going to end up with maybe some indigestion and tummy problems. Maybe your brain's going to get a bit foggy and you can't think clearly. Your memory's going to feel a bit poor because you, 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 your thinking systems have been turned down. This person is, is potentially going to be very emotionally numb. They don't cry, they don't feel happy, there's a, just a low kind of mood, lack of interest in things, they're withdrawn, they're flat. Socially, they avoid being around people. They have difficulty emotionally connecting with others. Maybe they struggle to trust people or struggle to trust God. It's not that they don't want to. 
It's just that their brain isn't letting them. So maybe, you know, TV becomes the go-to there. Psychologically, this person is always feeling guilty and ashamed. They know that Jesus has died for their sins. They know that they're forgiven, but they have a hard time trusting that. It doesn't compute for them. And there's a fear there in their life. They're, they're living with this underlying sense that they can't cope and bad things are going to happen. They know God is their provider. They know he's faithful, but they just get so discouraged and disappointed all of the time. Spiritually, they struggle to enjoy God. You know, God feels kind of distant. There's, there's a lack of interest in, in reading the Bible, in praying, in being at church. You know, they believe, but... Ah, oh, it's a bit lukewarm, a bit bored, a bit, yeah, meh, kind of, you know. You know that fight, flight, uh, freeze res response we, we mentioned earlier. So people like this are in kind of the freeze state. Their, their body, their mind, their spirit just kind of powers down. Do you, do you ever, you know, your mobile phone, does it ever, you find it gets slow and, and, and unresponsive and a bit sluggish? And, and what do you, what's the first thing you do? You power it down, don't you? You give it a reboot. So, so people like this, these are the depleted Davids. They're the depleted Davids. And many people, many people are living like depleted Davids. And I, I tell you what, it's not the way we were designed to live. God has so much more for you. 2 Timothy 1.7 For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love and self-discipline. Romans 12, 11. This one's from the Passion Translation, actually. Be enthusiastic to serve the Lord, keeping your passion towards him boiling hot. Radiate with the glow of the Holy Spirit and let him fill you with excitement as you serve him. Depleted Davids aren't going to be radiating with the passion of serving God. They're not going to be red hot, are they? Isaiah 41, 13 to 14. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Do not be afraid, you worm Jacob. Little Israel, do not fear, I myself will help you, declares the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. There is another way to live, the way we're designed to live, the way... We are able to live when we are reborn by the Spirit and have the Spirit living in us. And if that's you, then you're able to live this other way. The way we're designed to live is, is what I'm calling in the peace window. This is the life Jesus has for you. Steve, if you could just put that little diagram up. Thanks. So we've got this window of peace. Now, above the window is kind of the, the angry Pharisee zone. And then below the window, we've got the depleted David kind of window. And in the middle is the sweet spot for us. This is where there's, there's this harmony in your life. You haven't peeked into that, that angry, stressed out zone. And you haven't dipped down into the discouraged, hopeless, despondent zone. Someone living in the peace window will feel at peace with God, yourself, your spouse, your kids, other people. You'll be calm. Now, who here likes a bit of calm in their life? About every second person likes a bit of calm in their life. Actually, all the women like calm in their life. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. 
Um, I like calm in my life. Calm is good. Calm is good. You know, when you're living in the peace window, there might be a storm happening nearby, but you're sleeping on the boat with Jesus. You have a solid trust in God. Your daily Christian living will be, will be fervent and passionate and enthusiastic, but not frantic and crazy. It'll be like you're walking in a calm, with, walking with Jesus kind of way. Your experience of God's love will be high and deep and wide. There's a gratitude and a thankfulness that guides your thoughts and guides the things you say. You have a positive mindset, not a negative one. You're eager to know God more. You're, you're naturally reading the word. You're at church. You have an active prayer life. And when people mess you around, because it happens, doesn't it? You know, most weeks there'll be someone that'll mess you around in some way. When people mess you around, you're more readily able to forgive them. You're able to see God's best in them, understand them, accept them, love them. You're going to be more willing to be around people, more tolerant. Physically, you're probably going to have more energy, more focus, more clarity. Have you noticed that when your life spins out of control, either up or down, uh, and you're living either in the top window or the bottom window, the first thing that's going to drop out is going to be your time with God? Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that? Uh, all the time you spend with other Christians, all the time you spend in prayer, all the time you spend at church, you know, they're the first things that are going to spiral out of your life when you're living in one of those other two windows. But when you live in the peace window, you're going to be doing all of the habits that we've just looked at over the last six weeks in this series. You're going to be having a Sabbath. You're going to be spending quiet, re reflective time with God. You're going to be serving and fasting and tithing and confessing. You're going to be connected and feel a sense of belonging at church. When you're living in the peace window, this is what you're experiencing. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 9. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. You'll be perplexed, but not in despair. You'll be persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Or Philippians 4, verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Psalm 28, 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy and with my song I praise him. I think you'd agree this is a good way to live. Now, anyone at any point are going to be somewhere in one of these windows on this uh, spectrum. And it's quite normal, isn't it, in, in daily life to kind of sometimes maybe dip down a bit into that depleted window or maybe you, you spin up a bit into that angry window. It happens. It's okay. What's not okay is when you stay there, when you live there. Because when, when, we, when we're living in one of those upper or lower windows for an extended period of time, do you, do you know what happens? That becomes your normal. And that's not God's best for your life. For some people, this, this window of peace, this peace window, it's very, very narrow. It's very narrow. And um, you're more likely to drift out of it when it's narrow, aren't you? Okay, it's not going to take much to bump you out of that peace window. 
you, you become a bit like that boat in James 1, you know, that's, that's, that's tossed to and fro, up and down, unstable in all you do. Other people have really wide peace windows and it takes a lot to bump you out of your peace window. Praise God, amen, don't we all want to live like that? Hey, wide, big, fat, wide peace windows. And I think that's actually a good measure of your maturity in faith. A mature faith is going to have a big peace window. An immature faith is going to have a very thin peace window. The bigger your peace window, the more your life will be characterised by peace and thankfulness and forgiveness and hope and love and trust and all of those beautiful fruits of the Spirit that we want to see cultivated in our lives. Here's the million-dollar question that maybe you're asking. The million-dollar question, how do we increase our peace window? Because it probably doesn't matter how big your window is. It's always good to have it bigger, isn't it? I mean, more is better in this case, for sure. So whether your window's this big or this big, let's make it bigger. What do you think? So the question is, how do we do it? Well... Here's a key concept. The more time you spend in your peace window, the bigger it gets. Yeah? Think that one through. The more time you spend in your peace window, the more it grows. All right? So to increase your peace window, you need to practice being in it and staying in it. Think about being on a seesaw. You know, when you, if you're standing in the middle of a seesaw, uh, they don't have seesaws in parks these days, do they? All right, so everyone over the age of 40, you can picture a seesaw. Everyone else under 40, I, I don't know, I'll just imagine. Do you? Where? Where are the seesaws? A really old park. Okay, all right. Well, it's probably like the only one in the state. Uh, so imagine on a seesaw. You know, if, you, if you're trying to balance on a seesaw, initially it takes a bit of work to do it and, and you're likely to sort of tip it one way or tip it the other way. But as you practice, as you get better at it, you, you're able to balance uh, in, in the middle there for a bit longer. So um, when, you're, when you're in this angry, angry window or this, this depleted window... Life's going to feel foggy. It, it, it's going to be um, a, a bit unclear, a bit distorted. And, and so you, ha you have trouble seeing this window of peace. You can maybe imagine it, but because you're spending so much time living here or here, that window is a bit, bit foggy and distorted. And you kind of, you know you want to get there, you know you want to live in it, but you're not quite sure how to get in it and how to stay in it. So to, to get a clear picture of this peace window, you've got to deal with the fog, right? Well, I'm leading up to an acronym. That's why I'm doing this work about fog. So, so fog, you've got to deal with the fog to see your window of peace. So three ways to decrease the fog and live in our peace window. You ready? F, forgiveness, forgiveness. You've got to get this one first. You've got to get this one done consistently. Otherwise, the other two don't count and won't work. All right, so F, for fog, forgiveness. This is the one you really need the Holy Spirit to help you with, by the way. FYI, the other two you can probably have a bit of a crack at on your own. But this one, you really need God with this one. Forgiveness. Living in a broken world means that you need to understand forgiveness. Would you agree? 
Definitely. I think everyone can say, yeah, no, I know that. I've experienced that. Like just yesterday, this person said, you know, yeah, we all need to understand forgiveness. Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's pretty clear. <laughs> pretty clear. Let's have a think about our depleted David again. David, he, he'd sinned. He'd messed up. He'd done some stuff he knew was wrong. He knew it was wrong and he experienced the guilt and the shame and the, re the remorse and the regret. All that stuff that put him in the other window. Um, it'll never put you in the peace window, will it, experiencing that stuff. Now here's the thing. If you've done some stuff that's weighing on your conscience, now is a good time to ask God to forgive you and remove that burden of guilt that you are carrying right now. In your head right now. Invite God into that space because the rest of this won't make sense until you've dealt with that stuff. Maybe, maybe you've been judging others. Maybe you've been judging others. Maybe you've been uh, angry at them. Maybe you've been hurt by them. Maybe you've hurt them. Maybe there's some other stuff you've done. Last week, last month, a decade ago. Take a moment, just take a moment right now. Just bring that before God and ask him to forgive you. And then just as he forgives us, just as he forgives you every day for everything, we are to forgive others. We are to forgive others when we hold a grievance against them and I think some of us need to do that here today when you choose to hold unforgiveness in your heart towards others you are choosing to live outside of the peace window and you'll be stuck there until you forgive that person maybe someone's disappointed you maybe someone's let you down hurt you not been there for you maybe they've told you lies They've failed you in some way. They've caused, caused some sort of grief or trauma for you. Maybe they've embarrassed you in some way. We need to forgive those people. Again, take a moment now. It might be, it might be something that after the service or at some point in the coming few days, you need to go and see someone and restore relationship with that person. Of course, forgiveness is impossible on our own, isn't it? And if forgiveness is something you're struggling with, then you need the Holy Spirit to make that possible. It's only the Holy Spirit that really makes it possible for us to forgive and be forgiven. And so maybe you need to spend a bit of quiet time with God to allow the Holy Spirit to bring your heart into a place of of knowing that you're forgiven or being able to forgive others. So that's F. So fog, F, forgiveness. O is order. Order. We are designed to live in order and structure and routine. Think about Genesis. Chaotic, swirly, messy water and darkness. What does God do? 
creates order, doesn't he? Uh, he, he? He creates order in a way that is there, there is routine and, and rhythm and structure. And we need to take a leaf out of God's book and create a bit of order in our lives. If you're feeling overwhelmed and stressed, there are probably some very practical reasons why you are feeling that way. To live in your peace window, you need to take the unnecessary stuff out and put some necessary structure and routine in. And so that might involve reducing unnecessary work or life obligations. Think about, you know, is this invite or is this opportunity, is it important? Is it necessary? Is it timely? Like, don't just say yes as a reaction. Think about it. Create some space in your life. You need to sew a bit of elastic into the pants of your life, okay? A little bit of room for give and stretch. Make sure you have a bit of margin or spare time because if you are planning to go flat out, full on, 24-7, you've got no room for the unexpected. And when something happens, it, it tips you over the edge because you've got no extra room in your life to take it on. Get a routine in your life if you don't have one. You know, it's, it's really empowering to get out of bed in the morning and, and know what you're going to do with your life that day because you've got some routine and structure and order to your life. And set aside time like you'd set aside money. You know, budget your time like you would budget your money. And for me, I, I, I know that on Mondays and Tuesdays, I'm at work in Wagga. On, on Wednesdays, I, I know what I'm doing. I've, I've got a day set aside for my sermon prep, a day set aside for my house and home, a day set aside for my Sabbath. I, I've, I've got it um, I sort of scheduled out. And I tell you what, the weeks I deviate from that, I have at least three people say to me, what's wrong? <laughs> Are you okay? Is every Yes, I'm fine. They're the weeks I've deviated from my routine, okay? So, so it, it doesn't work and I end up dipping into one of these other windows. So you need some routine and structure and planning in your life and then you need to stick to it. Ephesians 5, 15 to 17. Be careful then how you live. Be careful how you live. We're told to be careful. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. You've got to know what God wants you to do in your life and then you've got to plan to do it. Otherwise, you're foolish. So choose carefully and wisely the people you have in your life. Some people are going to fill you, fill your bucket. Some people are going to tip Everything out of your bucket. Hang around positive people, calm people, helpful people. Save your energy and time for those people who are going to build you up, not heap extra stress upon you. Unless you've got a really wide window of peace and then you can be the one that helps to drag other people into your window of peace. But if you've only got a thin window of peace, then everyone else is going to drag you out of that thin window, okay? So, so wait until your window is nice and broad so that you can drag everyone else into it so that you're one of those calm, helpful people. If you hang out with angry Pharisees or depleted Davids, what do you think is going to happen? You'll both learn from each other. If you're an angry Pharisee and you hang around angry Pharisees, what's going to happen? You're just going to feed off each other, aren't you? If you're a depleted David and you hang around with other depleted people, what are you going to do? You're going to moan, complain about how tired you are. 
how meh you're feeling. You need good people around you who know how to live out of their peace windows. Find the people who are living in their peace windows and stick by them. Learn from them. Proverbs 12, 26. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So that's O, order. So we have forgiveness, F, O, order. The last one in our word fog is G, gratitude, gratitude. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I think this needs to be our daily start scripture. Hmm? start the day with this reminder end the day with it stop during the day and, and remind yourself of this put it on your fridge on your phone's wallpaper stick it near your toothbrush something get it into you it is God's will for you to rejoice how good's that it is God's will that you rejoice it is God's will that you pray continually it is God's will for you to be thankful at everything that happens in your day. Now, I understand that's not always easy, is it? You know, you might be sitting there thinking, yeah, but Annette, do you know what I've got to deal with in my day? Do you know how hard my day is? Well, no, I don't, but I know how hard my day is sometimes, and I know it is difficult sometimes. In fact, it's actually impossible, I think. I mean, this is an impossible scripture, but you know what? You can do all things through Christ Jesus who gives you strength. Do you believe it? Yes. It is the grace God gives you. It's his empowering presence in you that enables you to live like this. Here are some tips to help foster this in your life, though, to foster gratitude. Keep a prayer journal about what you're thankful for. Read scripture, and when you're reading it, train your mind to pick out things that you can be thankful about in it. Reframe in your mind things that annoy you or frustrate you. Work out how to be thankful for those things. For example, I've prayed this prayer, and <clears throat> I'll confess, I prayed it while I was writing the sermon. <laughs> Lord, I won't use any names. Lord, I'm frustrated that... that Someone hasn't done this thing they said they'd do. Lord, I'm thankful that they didn't do it because I know that you're obviously sorting out something else in this situation. And I know, Lord, that your plans are good and timely and obviously you didn't want this person to do this thing at this time. And so, Lord, thank you that you've held them back from doing it. Thank you that you've held them back so that your will can be done and so that, that, that I'm living in sync with you. So I thank you, Lord, for that. You know, re you try it. Reframe these things. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, yeah, actually, hey, that's good. Yeah, I'm okay with that now. Try it. It's freeing. Reframe the situations that stress you or frustrate you. Reframe them as a prayer of thankfulness. Look for the God angle in it. I can guarantee you can find a God angle in everything if you look for it. If you look for it. 
So the key concept for us is the more time you spend in your peace window, the bigger it gets. So if you do these three things, these three fog things, you'll find that the fog in your life clears and you'll see your peace window and you'll know how to live in it. So you need to practice living, you need to practice forgiveness, you need to get some order in your life and you need to practice gratitude. Don't settle for a version of the Christian life that has you living as an angry Pharisee or a depleted David because there's the Jesus life for you. Go after it. Go after it. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you have so much more on offer for us than what we can even see at times. Lord, our desire is to live the Jesus life and may we be a people who lives in our peace windows because we know that that is your will for us, Lord. May we be people who, who actually draw others into the peace window, Father. For those of us who are struggling with, with um, anger, anger and, and being stressed out and maxed out and just hyper on edge or for those of us who are struggling with with feelings of depletion and being worn out and and just exhausted by life circumstances lord holy spirit come and minister your grace to them build them up equip them empower them give them hope we just speak a word of hope upon them right now that they might see and know that you have called them out of those windows and to live in peace with you jesus so we thank you holy spirit that you just make that possible we thank you holy spirit that you just guide them as they make choices in their daily life, choices that will, will step them into this peace window, Father. Lord, we thank you for your goodness with us. We thank you that you are a God that causes us to live in, in joy and grace and thankfulness. And we thank you that you fill us with your spirit. Lord, as we go out this week, may we just experience your blessings in our life and may we be a blessing to others around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.